This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, we had a lot of fun, a lot of feedback with Ashley Church. Uh, He was always in the media as the property guy, various roles, but he's been a businessman, an investor, dabbled in politics, stood for the National Party when he was just out of short pants and on the council when he was still in short pants. And we discussed his Christian values and the impact of Christian values on society and on politics and the devastating result that he and I perceive in our society as we have lost our faith and having lost our faith, lost our values and become rudderless and directionless and people being all about themselves. But I wanted to explore more with Ashley, particularly given the feedback, and talk about what Christianity has meant to him personally as an individual rather than the big picture stuff. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning again, Rodney. Nice to talk to you again. Well, I've been thinking about our talk a lot, so it's lovely to have you back, and thank you for coming back, because in some ways this is quite a hard topic. It is. Why do you think it's hard? Oh, it's hard because... uh, the concept of Christianity, in fact, two words that that underpin the entirety of Christianity um, are, are what I call power words, and they are so powerful that they cause a visceral, visceral reaction in people either for or against. Um, and those two words are the words Jesus Christ. And so when you say those words to people, uh, they immediately have a response to them. And that's, that response is either very positive because... You know they're part of the club, um, or they're 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 quite strongly negative, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think partly they're strongly negative because there's a lot of baggage with Christianity that goes back a long way, and people's bad experiences with things that they perceive as being Christian. But I think also, and, and I, I suspect we'll probably talk about this as, as as we carry on with this conversation. But there's also what I call a, a spiritual dimension to it, which is there's a there's an aspect of it which people don't want to hear because it challenges their whole concept of of what they're doing and how they how they're they're leading their lives um and it's it's really interesting because uh there will be people listening to the show now who will immediately have that reaction what, what's mm. particularly interesting about that by the way is that those words actually aren't the real name of the person that we refer to um uh as as jesus christ uh jesus christ is actually a a, a greek term um uh, the original the original name of of that person from the Hebrew um, was Yeshua, which is mm. which is interesting. And, and if and if you take that name Yeshua and you transliterate it into the English language in the twenty first century, it's actually not Jesus; it's Joshua. So, yeah, so but 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 a trivia there. Um, and Christ, Christ. So we should start a new religion called Joshua. Well, a, a lot of people actually do. A lot of Christians now actually do refer to Christ as, as Yeshua. It's quite common now. It has been Yeshua. for a long time. Um, and the name Christ is so the the, the name Christ. Uh, you will have heard the term Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew term, or it's actually the correct Hebrew term is Mashiach, and it means anointed. And Christ is simply the Greek equivalent of that word. It means the same thing. It means anointed. So the real name of that character is actually not uh, Jesus Christ. It's Yeshua ben Yusuf, which just means it's the Ben Yusuf, meaning it's son of Joseph. 
Um, but putting all that aside, though, that word Jesus Christ has such a strong and powerful impact on people that, as I say, people listening to this will have have one reaction or the other uh, to those Do two. You think words. popular culture and the media have done their utmost to belittle people who have a faith in Jesus Christ and are Christians, and also to show the very worst of churches and sort of painted Christianity along with colonialism as this terrible thing that's devastated the world, which, of course, is the obverse of reality. I do, although I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily think that the the perception that I just talked about before, as a, as a result of that, in fact, I think it's the other way around. I think that those are reactions to the fact that society has been moving away from this whole concept of Christianity for a long time, um, and and as that's gathered steam, as as that's sort of gone faster and faster. Um, the apparatus of society, including the media, has become part and parcel of that whole process of doing everything that it can to deny it. But part of the reason for that, this is where it gets really interesting, part of the reason for that, I think, is because um, Christianity, whether you, whether you like it or not, actually challenges us. It challenges us in respect of uh, the values and the claims that it makes relative to our own lifestyle. So if we're doing things that are in keeping with Christianity, we tend to be you know, we tend to go along with that. We're happy with it. We understand it. But if we're doing things that aren't in concert with Christianity, that aren't in keeping with Christian values, then we've really only got two choices. We can either change what we're doing, or we can find ways to to ridicule and 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 decry that faith. And that's happening increasingly. That's been happening for. I think you and I talked last time about this decline going back to the fifties. Um, that's been happening for the last sixty or seventy years. We we don't like the the challenge that Christianity puts in our face and our reaction to that is to try and do things to try and to, to try and diminish it to, and, and to try and discredit it so that we actually don't have to deal with the consequences of our own actions. Well, it's like an alcoholic refusing yeah. to admit they're an alcoholic. Really good example. Really Christianity good example. puts these constraints and disciplines on your behaviour and says that just being me, 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 and this is fun, fun, fun uh, is wrong. Yes, but there is a but to that. Uh, that presupposes that Christianity is all about sort of harsh restraints and constraints and things on the way that you actually live. It's actually not all that harsh. It's actually, in, in fact, as we progress in this conversation, hopefully I'll get to talk a bit more about my own experience with it. But but if you if you live it the way that it's intended to be lived, it's actually a pretty easy lifestyle, and it's not uh, a constraining and diminishing lifestyle. It's actually it, it's a lot of fun. It's it's. Um, it's it's just different to the values of a society that basically says that everything should be centered on your own ego and your own need to 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 for pleasure and and you know to do things that are going to make you feel better about yourself um but you know one of the for, for me there was there was almost two aspects or two 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 stages to to my faith and i think you and i talked about this last time the first stage of my faith was when i was in my late teens and it was very much an intellectual thing. And it was around, um, it actually started with me wanting to discredit Christianity because I just thought it was nonsense. And so when I studied it, it actually found that it wasn't nonsense. It was it, it stood up on every criteria that I could throw against it. And so by my late teens, intellectually, I understood it. And I could argue it against anybody. I could go into any debate, still can actually, could go into any debate and could argue in favor of Christianity and would win that debate, hands down. Um, but I didn't live it at all. 
and and How interesting. interesting. So it was a head thing. It was completely a head thing. It was totally a head thing. To and, the, and you could disassociate your own behaviour. Yes, to my shame. Because <laughs> that was because you were young and randy or something. That was completely all of those things, and I had a massive ego, and I, and while I understood it intellectually, my ego was such that I didn't think that I actually had to live it. I thought that as long as I understood it and I sort of met the, the, the primary criteria of what it meant to be a Christian, that I could just get on and continue to do the things that I did and, you know. So you, you were a Christian in your yep. faith. But, but you were chasing girls and all of that. All of that. Yeah. What else? Oh, in terms Drugs? of my, own, my 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 biggest issue has always been pride and ego. So so yeah, I mean I've they're had, the two they're two sins, right? They are, well, yes, they are. Yeah, or, or 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 two sides of the same sin. So absolutely, I mean, in terms of relationships, yep. I mean, I've been married three times. I've got uh, kids to different parents. You know, all sorts of things that I'm not particularly proud of. Um. And you know that went on until my mid thirties, um, and uh, but 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 the bigger thing for me was that I always knew better than everybody else, and so I had this intellectual understanding of Christianity. And so I even your understanding of Christ was better than anyone else's too. Well, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you're an arrogant, you're a prideful Christian. I was. I wasn't alone, to be fair. But but what uh, what made that particularly interesting is that I would go and to the extent that I would attend churches, which which has always been a hit and miss thing for me for most of my life. Um, I didn't particularly like being with Christians. I, I found it very saccharine, um, and and the, you know the, it, it was almost overperformative in the sense that the whole church thing was what I used to refer to as God in a box, which meant that people would go along to a service in the morning or the evening waiting for God to perform for them as if they could sort of bring him out of a box as if he was a, a showman, um, which I always found quite difficult. But I was part of that problem because I, you know, rather than trying to integrate with these people, I was better than they were in my mind and and really didn't want to be amongst them. Um, and, and that really only started to change. It started in my mid-30s. And even then, it took me another 20-odd years to slowly adjust and actually recognize, firstly, that the big issues were with me. And secondly, what Christianity was really all about for me, which was something completely different to what I understood. The, the, the intellectual stuff, don't get me wrong, that was all correct and true. But in terms of the impact that it had on my life, that wasn't until well into my 50s. Um, and it was understanding. There's this concept of Christianity. You're probably familiar with the Lord's Prayer, Rodney, where it talks about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you know, thy, thy, thy uh, will be done, thy kingdom come. Um that actually that's not just a that's not just a, a, a cute quote it actually means something it means giving up your own uh sense of self and submitting it to to god and it's it's got two purposes one of them is about now about the world in which we live and then the one and then the other phase of it is about the hereafter where we're going to be once this thing's all over and it took me a long time to get my head around that that applied to me i understood it applied to other people but i didn't think it applied to me and as i've got more into recognizing that and becoming more subservient to my God, that's completely changed my life, but very late in my life. Well, it must be hard because we are living in a hedonistic world. Yep. And so everyone around you is me, 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 me. Yep. Look how much I've got. Girls, 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 booze, 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 drugs, 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 fun, fun, fun. 
Yep. Everyone's doing it, and you think, well, I will too, because particularly given your world, which was property investment, high-performing business, politics, and the media, because that's all a heady potion for the ego. In fact, it's all ego, right? You don't meet successful businessmen who don't have an ego or investors who don't have an ego or people in the media or politics who don't have an ego. It's like if you haven't got one, you better develop one fast. And then you've got to have this humbleness and no one around you does. So you're, you're, it's quite tough, I think, because you know you can imagine 50 years ago, it would be very hard to be hedonistic because you'd be frowned upon and no one around you was. You know what I mean? When I was growing up, no one was boastful. Kids were very humble. Your parents were very humble. They wouldn't talk themselves up and they wouldn't talk about themselves. You know, they, they lived that Christian humility now we're the exact obverse, and what you're saying is, in your head, you had a Christian understanding and belief, but when it came to, um, when it came to living your life, you couldn't do it. Yes, so we're living in an environment that isn't positively reinforcing Christian values. Yeah, completely agree. Although it's interesting that you use the word Christian values, and and a lot of people would say if we would only return to you know where we were in the fifties and prior to that and live the values that we previously lived, that that we would be a Christian society. But that was part of my problem because that's not what makes you a Christian, and that's the bit I think people the the, the bit that really but that people struggle with is that Christianity is not about us living a good life. And that's counterintuitive because most of us think it is. Christianity is not about me uh, living up to a standard that qualifies me to enter into God's presence. And the reality of Christianity is I actually can't do that. And that's what the New Testament tells me. If you, if you look at the two books of the Bible, and for those who aren't familiar, it's made up of two quite distinct books. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is a, a much longer book. It's, a, it's When I say a book, it's actually a series of books. Um, and it's essentially the story of the Jews. Uh, going back about three thousand years, so it's so it's it's the story of where they came from, what happened to them, the creation of the nation of of first Judah and then Israel, um, and what they did and God's displeasure with them. And then the New Testament, which is what Christianity is based on, is where Christ intervenes. Christ comes into the world. That's how the New Testament starts. And he sets up essentially a system for everybody else. And the, everybody else in the Bible is referred to as what they call Gentiles. That's a term you would have heard, Rodney. So you've got Jews and Gentiles, and the New Testament's primarily about the, the Gentiles and the way that they can be with God. Anyway, long ramble, but the point of that is to say that um, in the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of rules by which the Jews are required to live, which they actually don't live up to, repeatedly don't live up to. Um, and and there's some consequences to that that have carried on and are carrying on through till this day. In the New Testament, in the form of Christ, there's a second way that they can actually become Christians in this, or that they have be in God's presence. And the second way is to say you can't possibly live up to the standard 
here's an alternative and that's about that's the whole concept you know you know it's one of these power terms that i talked about before but the this idea of accepting christ so christianity is not about living a good life it it presupposes that once you become a christian you will make your best endeavors to live a good life but that's not what makes you a christian what makes you a christian is your belief in jesus christ the stuff after that is what you would hope people will do and that's the bit i didn't do I, I went through all the intellectual stuff, understood all that in my late teens, but didn't do the second bit, which was about doing my best to reform my life and be a better and better person until much later in my life. And that only came about because you accepted Jesus into your life. Correct. Although I did that when I was 18, to be fair. So you could argue, you know, I, I joined the club, if you like, very early. I did that I did that on, and I believed it. Don't get me wrong. I believed it. I intellectually believed it. And you know, and 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 did the stuff that you're required to do, but it didn't transform my life in the way that people would expect a Christian's life to be transformed. And there'll be some people who might say to me, "Well, if it didn't transform your life, then you weren't really a Christian," and they might be right. Um, so tell me about this come to Jesus moment. Oh, so that it wasn't a moment. Firstly, <laughs> it was a transition over quite a period of time. And it happened because you've really thought this through, right? You've yeah. really, you have spent, I would suggest the way you speak, it's been the biggest thing in your life to work all this through. Oh, totally. In fact, now it's the essence of who I am. That wasn't always true. It, it certainly is now. It's the essence of who I am. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's not my every waking moment, but it's a big chunk of them. But it wasn't always what caused that to happen is a, my, my life is a life of two halves, to use a rugby analogy. In the first half, uh, it was, I was going to say, you know, rugby woman and, and, and what have you. I, um, it, 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 it was all about me. It was all about what I wanted. I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be all that stuff. Um, and, and I had those things fleetingly over a long period of time. I had bits of them but it never lasted. It was never sustainable. Um, and, and I could never hold on to success, partly uh, because I, I wasn't capable of it and, and partly because every time I seemed to get a little bit of fleeting success, it would, it would money was a really good example of that. I could get a bit of money together and then I'd lose it. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd invest it badly or, or I wouldn't earn it in the quantities that I needed. And, and so I never got to a point where I was successful in, in terms of what the way I... It, it you think it. there was some self-sabotage there? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally self-sabotage. Um, and then there was a second phase of a part of my life, which started probably in my mid to late 40s, where I started to realize that I was going through these repetitive patterns, self-sabotage, as you say, and other things that simply weren't getting where I wanted to go. And I started, and I'd love to say I did it all at once, but I didn't. I started to submit to God. I started to say, you need to help me with this. I'll give you a really good example of that. It was in my early 50s. And we had just started to get back into our uh, property investment a few years prior to that. Um, and we got to a point in one particular year where uh, it was looking like it was all going to come crashing down on us. And, I, and I, I spent three or four months trying to do whatever I could to make that work until I finally got to a point where, where I knew I couldn't take it any further. And I remember sitting down one night on my own and just giving it to God, saying, I can't handle this. This is as far as I can go in my own strength. You need to do the rest of it. And the following day, uh, and over the, the, a period of two or three months after that, the whole thing turned around in a way that wouldn't possibly have happened uh, if I'd tried to do it myself. Now, I've got lots of examples of that now because I've learned to trust that. 
it's taken me a while, but I've learned to trust that process. And that happens now with, with not necessarily with big things, but with small things where I get to the point where in my own ability, I can do it. And then I give it to God and he never lets me down. He always, he takes me that extra. And, and to the point now where things that would really stress people, Rodney, and would really concern people just don't worry me at all. Cause I know that it's my job to take it as far as I can and God will do the rest. He always does. Why would God worry about how much money you have or whether you oh, have so That's a really good question. So so in that particular instance, that was because I, I, I had bills to pay and other people that I was, was accountable to. And, and so, you know, if I had, I would have been letting other people down. And so he made sure that I didn't. But again, as I've got older, money's less and less important. It's and and as I've as I've taken my eye off money, um, and to be honest, that happened some years ago to the point where really that just wasn't important to me anymore. Suddenly, I've been blessed monetarily. So so money has ceased to be an issue. Um, you know, God's given me wealth. He's given me a whole range of stuff that when it was important to to me, I I, I couldn't get or could, wouldn't didn't have. And now that it's not important to me, then suddenly it's there in abundance. But that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Money, I, you know, I talk to people now about money's a means to an end, and it is. It's simply a way of of doing the things you want to do. But my focus, and it's been my focus for a number of years, and I know you've read some of my articles, is about what can I do in the time that I have available to me to share what I know with other people? Because I have this view, and it's a very strongly held view that I've had for a number of years, that all of us, every single one of us, without exception, will one day soon stand in front of God and he'll say, what did you do with your life? And he'll, he'll ask that question in two parts. The first will be, did you accept me? Big question. And if you did, what did you do with the resources and the time that I gave you? And it's that second part of that question that I'm focused on. And I want to be able to give a good account that I've done as much as I possibly can to help other people to understand what I understand. That's a huge focus. You know, you said before about the the reading and the thinking about it, that's where it's taken me. So God is using you, you think? I'd like to think so. I think he uses everybody who's open to to being used by him. I don't think there's any special th- anything special about me in that respect. In fact, if you look through history, he's done that with, with many thousands of men and women. Um, in my own instance, um, because I often ask, I often ask and I say, why me? Because, you know, of all the people that you could possibly have called upon to, to, to do the work that I'm currently doing, there are far better people than I am, people who are far more suited, have got more skills. Um, and and I, I assume it's because there, there, there are particular reasons why he's doing that and not somebody else. I'm writing, I think I told you last time we talked, I'm writing a book at the moment. In fact, I've written two. Um and they are primarily targeted at an American audience. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, here I am sitting in New Zealand, Rodney, writing to an audience with a view very different to the topic of the book uh, that I'm writing to, to the view that I'm expressing. Why on earth would I be somebody that God would use to write that book? Why wouldn't you call upon somebody in the States who could do it? And I, I still don't know the entire reason. I just trust that he's got a reason for doing that. Um, or, or it's going to be a massive failure. <laughs> It'll be published and nobody will read it. Um, and, if it and, was a failure, if it, well, answer me this. Yep. If you had uh, not recovered financially, yep. not been able to meet your debts and the people that relied upon you, would you have still accepted 
Jesus? Oh, unquestionably. Yeah, ab- absolutely. In fact, there's a book in the Old Testament. So, so it wasn't because uh, the way you described it, I was thinking, oh, yeah, man, if I said, oh, God, um, let's hope I win the Powerball Saturday. <laughs> right. And yeah. I did. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'd be a pretty good believer, right? Yeah. But I didn't win the Powerball. <laughs> so, bugger up. You know what I mean? I do. It wasn't quite like that. I tell, no, and I'll tell you what, he never does it the way you think he's going to, because I often think about that stuff. I think about a lot of stuff. I often So think, you have a personal relationship with him? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. It's a conversational thing, um, and and it's many, many times in any given day. It's it's a conversation with somebody that so, I'm very... So this con- you're having a conversation with God? Yep. Some people would say you're not well in the head. Hey, some people might be right. <laughs> There's this voice talking to me, but he's made me a lot of money. I'm doing okay. Well, we don't, we don't I'm sorry that. to tease you, but we've got to have a bit of fun. No, 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 it's fair enough. Because the say- one thing I love about Jesus and God is he has a sense of humor, right? Absolutely. And those lefties and anti-Christians, they don't have an ounce of joy or fun in them. No, and, and it's interesting because their hatred of this stuff uh, it speaks volumes. So, so they're, they're well, that's e- partly why I'm in. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I should stress that when I say I talk to him, it's, it's, it's pretty much one sided. I talk to him, I converse with him all the time. It's not as if he's talking back in my oh, head. Oh, I see. That's okay then. You're okay. You're well. But. <laughs> But he he does. There are certain times when he does when he does. Uh, when I say I want to use the right word here, so as not to give the wrong impression. But he communicates back to me from time to time. But he doesn't do that, and I don't hear an audible voice. Um, he does that back through a variety of different ways, and it's hard to even put my finger on one because it changes all the time. Well, it's uh, so interesting because so many people through the COVID experience, it's been such a disruption to people's lives yep. and what to do and how to handle it. And I mean, Paul Brennan's quite open. You know, he just said, you know, someone out there, tell me what to do next. And that literally is hosting Rally Check Radio and setting it up and being with us. And he felt that very, very strongly. And I think it's those challenging moments that you go. So I was going to ask you this. Ashley, but I think you've answered it, and it was this. What is a minimum, if you like, to be a Christian? Two parts. The minimum is the is that what they call the prayer of repentance, and it's and it's it's a prayer to God, which is to say, I recognize that I've sinned. Sin's an interesting word too. It's another one of those power words, Rodney. And, and it's sort of emotively charged. All it means is not meeting God's standard. So God's laid out a standard in the Old Testament. Sin's simply not meeting that standard. So it's basically and, saying, and no to, one has, no one has, and no one can. That's the that's the important point. Nobody can. It's impossible to meet it. So so that prayer of repentance is saying, hey, look, I haven't met your standard. I recognize that I haven't. I recognize that there's nothing I can do. And then it's accepting what Christ did on the cross. And that's the key. It's it's the fact that God, because Christ in the form of God came here, lived amongst people for 33 years, 
got crucified and the process of being crucified took that sin away from anybody who accepts them. So that's stage one. So that's the minimum entry. Then there's a second part to that process. So, which, so just get me this clear. No, just, all good. So, yep. You know, I'm not wanting a DIY or anything, but I, I, <laughs> I've, I'm trying to, you know, I've wasted 66 years. So I want to sort of. Never too late, mate. Get on board quick. Yeah, yeah. So you accept and you say to God, I have sinned. Yep. You understand that he gave his only son here on earth. Yep. Who died a horrible death. Yep. Deliberately. Deliberately. Yep. And in so doing, cleansed us of our sins so long as we recognize what? That he's the son of God? Recognize that he's the son of God and recognize the redemptive value of that act. And here's the really cool thing about it that even most Christians can't get their head around. He died not just for the sins that you admitted to that day, but everything you might do for the rest of your life. And that's a really hard concept for people to understand. So when you do that, let's say you're 18 like I was and you pray that prayer and he forgives those sins up until that point. He also forgives the next 40 or 50 years of sin, even though you haven't committed it yet. Because here's the thing, you don't stop sinning. You try to, but you can't. And that's a really powerful thing to get your head around because we all because what we do is we people become Christians and then they do some terrible thing. They have an affair or something happens in their life and they think, oh, you know, I'm no longer in God's kingdom. That's not what he says. That isn't what he says. He says now and forever, everything you might ever do for the rest of your life. It's not a revolving door. It's a very powerful concept. So why should I read? Why should I resist the pleasures of the flesh? Because the pleasures of the flesh are the things that keep you away from God. Um, basically, they are they are the things, but particularly the stuff. I mean, there are some pleasures of the flesh that are completely godly. I mean, in a marriage, yes. man and woman in a marriage, nothing wrong with that. Um, it's it's the stuff that he showed, you know, the adultery, the the fornication, all all that stuff. Where and by the way, if you look at each of, and I'm not going to list them all, but if you look at each of those sins. He doesn't do that because he wants to be the Grinch. He does it because every single one of those things is bad for you. Every single one of those that things. That is absolutely the truth. Yep. And, and as you get older, you can see that so clearly yep. as you look around life. Yep. Because the joy of producing, of some discipline in your life, of having a person that loves you through your life, of growing old together, of raising children together, of having grandchildren together. And that is, you realize, the secret of a great life. Totally. And it's not going, not going off there, off, trying to be happy every day trying to have fun every day. It's the exact opposite of it. My, my mother died last year, and it was a wonderful thing because I spent the last week with her, and I had expected to be a wreck because uh, I loved her so dearly, and she so loved me, and we were so the same. We were just like peas in a pod, the two of us, my entire life. And she was 94, and she had a great last week, the two of us, together. And I found myself saying to people, 
that I don't know anyone, anyone that gave off more happiness or had more joy in her life than her. (laughs) And yet she had nothing in a way, you know, like compared to what people think they need. And she had quite a tough life. But, and she didn't get up in the morning and say, oh, what can I do for myself? She got up in the morning and worked hard for everyone around her and for her family. She her, her, her life was one of duty and responsibility. Yep. And I realized sitting that last week with her and thinking about her, Gosh, I wish I could have such a happy life myself. And then you realize achieving that joy and contentment is actually about doing things for others, is about loving other people, not about loving yourself and being kind to yourself, all that new age nonsense. And my mother wasn't a Christian. She rejected it. And, um, but, uh, Oh, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Um, you're you're uh, you're right about the new age stuff, and the interesting thing there is if you if you distill that down to its basic imperatives, um, it's all about people who are on that side of the equation insisting on be able to being able to do the things that make them feel good, which it's is a terrible a terrible guide yeah. to life. Yeah, totally. And all the depression. And all this self-absorption everywhere you look and you can see it affecting our young people, like little kids being affected by it and their parents and the way they interact. Um, Let's take take the sexual stuff. Let's take, so, so, you know, 30 years ago, there was still some constraints in our education system and in our parenting around sexuality with our kids and their teens. Now we've got a system that's been around for 20 or 30 years, as you know, Rodney, that basically says, you know, you should be able to experiment with sexuality. Oh, you, should- you can't stop it, you say. You, you you can't, you have to, you just have to give it. Yep. But I- here's the thing. So by the time you get married, if you get married at all, you know, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you might have been through 10, 15, 20 sexual partners. That screws with your head. That yes. absolutely screws with your head. So that's absolutely. God saying, don't do that stuff because. I want to, I don't want you to have fun. That's God saying, I know the impact that's going to have on if you do it, and I know what's in store for you if you wait. I and agree. Really quaint and old-fashioned concept, but it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. And um have and you can see now why these pop stars are all so miserable. Because they live, you think when you're growing up, you think, oh, I'd love to be that pop star or that football player and have all those girls throwing themselves <laughs> at me because all you want yourself is just a girlfriend, right? And you can't have one. And it's it's a trite thing to say that it's empty, but you can actually see that now versus starting dating with a view to marriage. And like I'm trying the to say, the pressures on kids now are overwhelming. The pressures on kids are overwhelming to to mm-hmm. engage in sexual activity. It's a very very difficult time. So, so when you're submitting yourself to God, 
and falling short, but knowing the standard, living that standard is the key, literally, to living a good life and dying content. Uh, totally. In, in fact, four words define the difference between the view that we talked about before, which was the view predominantly of the left, although many on the right have it as well, which is the, you know, the, the idea of being able to do what I want to do. The counter to that, the, 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 the true Christian view, four words, thy will be done, which is about saying to God, you decide. You tell me what you want for my life, and I will do my best to mold my life into doing those things. Now we never get it perfect. I, I you know, I'm I'm sitting here preaching about all this stuff. I constantly do things I shouldn't do, and I go back to God and I apologize, and we start the whole process again, and He accepts that, and you know, that's an ongoing process which I'll continue in for the rest of my life because I'm not perfect and I never will be. But it's the desire to want to try and do that that makes the difference. It's the desire yes. to say, "You tell me, Your will be done, not mine." You're having a standard. Having a standard which you're trying to adhere to, yeah. Yes, and it might be a standard that you fall short of, but what we've got, we've got now is people living their lives without a standard. Yep, and, and and wouldn't even think to look at this stuff. They've we've, we've we live in the society where we think that we can create utopia on our own, whereas a society we think that if we just keep passing enough laws. And you know, doing enough things that eventually will create this utopian society where everything will be perfect and everybody will be happy. It's a lie. It's a farce. It's a lie. It will never ever happen. It's it's it isn't possible. And yet we we yet we do it. Tell me about heaven. So there's two two aspects to heaven. The first of those is that so there's this concept in Christianity of return of the return of the Christ, what we call the second coming. And that's this idea that Christ comes back physically to earth. And whereas the first time he was there to suffer and to and to take on the sins of the world and 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 so that we could become Christians and we could rely on him. The second stage is about, and I don't want to put too harsh a term on this because it sounds terrible, but about punishment. It's and it's and, and in the first instance, it's about basically dealing with with those parts of the world that have continued to to, to be sinful for the last you know 2000 years. And then the second part of that punishment is personal. It's about dealing with us individually. And that's what I talked about before. I talked about standing in front of God. Every single one of us will stand in front of him at some stage, me included. But the difference between Christians and everybody else is that with Christians, they've got a free pass because they've accepted that redemption that he's provided for them. Everybody else, those people who've had the opportunity and have refused it, um, and when I say punishment, the punishment will be to look at all the things they did in their life before he essentially exiles them forever so it'll be to say i'm not just doing this just to be mean here's what you did i gave you a pass and you chose not to accept that pass therefore you can never you'll, you'll never be able to come into my presence again anyway the interesting thing about that and there's some debate around the timing of it but that, that the there's a period after that where the earth continues for another depending on who you talk to another thousand or so years um, and i think you and i talked about this last time and i genuinely believe that that's the period of time where people who were in a position where they they never heard the gospel, they lived in parts of the world where they weren't exposed. Oh, like African baby, yeah. All of that, yeah. Kids who were aborted, all of those people will have a chance to live a proper life and make that decision for themselves over that thousand years. And then at the end of that, talks about the whole lot basically being wiped away and and a completely new heaven and new earth created. And that's heaven. So, so no, I don't and know. And is what that, that in the New Testament? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. 
and it, it, right through from from all the way through the Gospels, all the way through to Revelation, it talks about that in different ways. And so, if I didn't accept Christ into my life before I die, yep, too late. I don't get part to that thousand years. No, no, you get a meeting. <laughs> you, <laughs> it's not much fun. Appointment. <laughs> it's not much but, fun, right? Not much fun. No. No. It's like the worst headmaster you've ever met. Pretty much. Pretty much. And he basically says that. He says, that, you know, he comes back the second time as, you know, as role the second time, not as pleasant as the first one. Um, and it's interesting because you get into, you know, I'm, I'm a great uh, reader. So tell me, tell me, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this. Um, you have a wife now? I do. And you have children at home now? No, kids are all kids are all okay. adults these days. So your wife is a Christian. She is, because if she wasn't, it would drive you nuts. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's there's a phrase in the New Testament from Christ. He talks about not being unequally yoked with non-believers, which means you know don't don't be married to somebody who doesn't share your values. It's not always that easy though, and and often you know one one partner in a relationship will become a Christian before the other. And and uh, you know it might be years before the other one makes that decision, if at all. Um, and so that's not always within our control. Uh, it's one thing to say don't marry a Christian; it's another thing to not be a Christian yourself when you get married and make that decision later on. But and what um, about children? You 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 must, if you had a child, yep, who's what the prodigal son or prodigal daughter, that would be heartbreaking if you're a Christian. Yeah, that happens a lot. There are lots of people who who bring up Christian kids, and the kids choose not to follow that lifestyle um, later on. Although, as you say, that prodigal son story is a common one. Interestingly, I um, uh, a few years ago met up with a guy I went to school with who was a Christian when I wasn't. He came from a Christian family, and he'd moved a long way away from his faith. And we he'd done very successfully in his career, worked for Mars Corporation in Australia and around the world, and he. Um, he came back to New Zealand with his wife. He'd retired and and was re-examining all of those things in his late fifties that he had. I wouldn't say walked away from, but they, they weren't important to him. So him and I had reached a very simple, very similar point in our lives. Mm. Um, and and you know, God's timing, God's timing. And and he was actually instrumental in helping me with some of the stuff that I've been working on. So, do you think that you feel special? <laughs> because you have this relationship with God and can see what others can't see and because they're not living by the rules that God set are not living a joyful life and have this judgment coming their way Depends what a, you mean by a, special, Rodney if, do, do, do I feel superior? Absolutely not um, I feel very privileged to to be in the position I'm in, and I, you know, I, I I thank God constantly that I had the opportunity to do that when others might not have had. Do I feel special in the sense that I have an insight which which makes sense of the world in a way that perhaps it doesn't for others? Yes, I do. Um, and that, again, that's just developed. That, that there's wisdom comes with age, and Christian wisdom is the best wisdom of all because if if you if you take it on board and you 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 allow it to imbue you with its value. Um, it gives you an insight into why things happen 
that that others don't. Having said that, there's lots of Christians that choose not to avail themselves of that. So so there's lots of Christians out there who are Christians, but they're not necessarily wise. But I'd like to And think, there's lots of Christians out there, presumably, who are going to be harshly judged. Well, no, by God? Yes. That's not what he tells us. In fact, he tells us quite the opposite. If they've made that decision, if they have if they have availed themselves of of that free gift that he's made for them, no, they their their sin has been wiped away. Um, there is a we talked to, you asked me a question before though that I didn't answer the second part. There is a second aspect to your faith though. So the first bit is the getting into the club, which you and I talked about the last time we talked, and that's that's that accepting Christ. Um, and and recognizing who he is and 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 doing your best to try and live your life. The second part is doing things during your life to try and and um, uh, do the things that you believe that he would want you to do to further his kingdom. This thing they call the Great Commission in the in in the New Testament. And there's a reward for that, and that's an interesting concept because a lot of Christians don't understand that, and they think when you talk that way, you're talking about getting into heaven by something called works. And that's not you, you can't work your way into heaven, but once you're there. You can absolutely do things that that improve your lot in heaven, um, and they're around doing your best to share your faith, um, looking for ways to you know feed the poor, clothe the clothe the poor, and whatever all all that stuff it talks about in the New Testament, and and share your wealth and all those other things which which you're led to do by by the exemplary example that Christ gave from His own life. So there is a second level to it, but that's not about getting you into heaven. You can't do that, but you can do things that give you reward if you like to be fair as i get older that's actually not my reason for doing it uh, my reason for doing it is because i want to please god but but mm. that aspect of it's real and christ talks about it in the new testament a lot and god has blessed you for a god purpose me enormously for a purpose what about a heinous person a heinous person who's accepted jesus yeah <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that you could ever actually really accept Jesus if you were heinous. Um, I understand the question you're asking. You know, the obvious one is people say, what if uh, Hitler accepted Jesus on his deathbed? Um, I'm not, and it's a fair question. Um, I'm not entirely sure that you could, I, I, because there's a there's an element of you have to believe what you're doing. So so when you make that decision. You can't fake it. No, you can't fake it. It's not just the words. In fact, it actually says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So there's two conditions to that. One of them is just sad. And the other condition is you actually have to believe it. And I don't know that a heinous person, they might say the right stuff. I don't know that they would necessarily mm. believe the right stuff. But to be honest, that's not my judgment call or yours. That's God's. Because only God knows what goes on inside us. So only he can make a decision as to whether that person's genuine or not. And you know you're genuine. Oh, I know I'm genuine. Yeah, I know how I feel about God. And it doesn't matter to me what anybody else thinks except God. And I'm good with that. I know. Well, what a wonderful place to in this conversation but i think actually we're going to need more anytime you want to talk about this topic well it's um you're so open about it and i'll be interested i I don't know whether this is rodney's journey because uh i are heading there and struggling all at the same time (laughs) and I realize talking to you what it means. And it's not just saying it. It's got to be very deep. 
as I said last time we talked, read the first four books of the New Testament, yes. what they call the Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's your starting point. I and watch The Chosen. We talked about The Chosen. Watch I the- Do you know, I sat down with my kids and I said, this is a great movie, going to watch it. And we watched episode one. It was so dark. They were under the cushions. Um, it gets better. By about episode three, it starts to get real. Good. I'm not going to get them to episode three. I can tell you, it was very dark and somber and blood and screaming and like that, saying, "What the heck? This is." A... And like my son's a Christian, and yeah. he was saying, "Oh, I don't know about this. This isn't my Jesus." I think I think I'll start him with reading. Because yeah. um, him and I might do some reading and talking together. Ashley Church, uh, businessman, property investor, politician, family man, three times over, but Christian and well familiar with his sins and shortcomings, but very comfortable with where he has got to in his life and very pleased to share his life like an open book because he knows it's going to be all out there before the creator. And nothing that we could do could compare to what God can do. And so he is open like a book like that. And here's me sort of groping in the dark and a little bit repressed and tight and a bit of a knot inside. But um, with Ashley's help and your help, we will see more and more. And it's part of this beauty of free speech, communication, fellowship, gospel. And Ashley, I thank you so much for coming on your show. If you've, uh, It's a great pleasure and an honor to have you on. Always very welcome, Rodney. And uh, you can email us at inbox at radlycheck.radio. You can text us at 2057. I'd love to hear from you. And um, I have been sent uh, material to read, and I'm working my way uh, with it. I'm in a busy time at the moment, so I'm falling rapidly behind people's suggestions. But I very much appreciate it. And I do think with this radio and with the guests we have, and with the audience we have, that we have a wider family and that we are truly blessed. And when you read the media, it's a nasty world. It's a self-absorbed world. It's a mean and divisive world. And it's so wonderful to get people along on the show like Ashley. And it's, it is a beautiful world. And you realize that we just all need To count our blessings, Uh, this is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll keep this up. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.